1: Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. During the Spanish Civil War, Emilio Mola coined the phrase fifth column, saying that the advancing four columns of his army upon Madrid would be supported by a fifth column of sympathisers within the city. A fifth column is a group of people who covertly undermine a large group, such as a city or nation from within to the aid of an external enemy. Jesus told a parable about Satan's fifth column. It's referred to as the parable of the wheat and tares. In this parable, a man sowed some seed in his field, but an enemy came by night and sowed tares amongst the wheat. Tares are deadly weeds. The problem is that in their early stage, while still in the blade, tares look like wheat. Both plants are lush green, and it's not until the grain begins to fill out that the difference can be detected. So if the farmer attempted to uproot the tares before maturity, he could wreak havoc on his crop, uprooting the wheat by mistake. The lesson of the parable is a caution to resist the temptation of saying who is a Christian and who is not. But at the same time, we are also forewarned that all that glitters is not necessarily gold. This is Set Free with Ken Legg.
0: And thanks for joining us again today as we look at Advancing the Kingdom. Now yesterday we looked at the first parable of the kingdom in Matthew 13. We saw that God builds his kingdom by means of sowing the seed of the gospel in the hearts of men and women. But in the next parable, that of the wheat and tares, we'll see the activity of the enemy. Ken? Yes, in fact every parable now concerns the spiritual warfare between the kingdom of
1: darkness and the kingdom of heaven. Sowing tears in an enemy's field was a form of revenge in those days. Uh, we would refer to it today as bioterrorism. It was outlined by the Romans, and uh, this parable illustrates the point that Satan couldn't stop the sower coming into
0: the world, so his next plan is to sabotage his field. Yes, he's pretty nasty like that. So what do the tears actually refer to? What did Jesus intend to teach through the parable? He wasn't really talking about seeds and wheat and plants. Right. No, he actually said the
1: tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now, in the first parable, there was only one sower and one kind of seed. Now we've got two sowers and two kinds of seed. So tears are, if you like, counterfeit Christians, look-alike Christians. Um, we know that there are false apostles, false prophets and false teachers. The Bible speaks about that, but it also speaks about false brethren. So if you like, Phil, amongst the people of God in the same field, there are people posing as Christians who are not really Christians at all. Now, we see that the enemy actually planted them there to cause trouble. Now, I've heard some people teaching on this parable, and they say, oh, you see, the enemy came in while the servants were asleep. Well, you know, it was nighttime. When, when else can they sleep if they don't sleep at nighttime? I, I think the point is that the enemy works by stealth under the cover of darkness. Mm. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, the Jews were referred to as God's vineyard and they were enclosed by a fence. They were marked off from the rest of the world. But now the kingdom of God has come, and that extends beyond the nation of Israel. So the field is the world, and the gospel must be proclaimed everywhere. The fences come down, and thankfully, multitudes are pouring into it. But the problem is that not all are regenerate, that are coming into what we call Christendom. So the tears will choke the life out of the wheat. The enemy knows that if he can place enough of the
0: artificial amongst the genuine, he can devastate the entire crop. And the difficulty is you can't tell the difference at some stage until it actually starts to bear fruit. That's right. you talked about this fifth column idea before, uh, the tares as Satan's fifth column. How does Satan's fifth column go about devastating the church? Well, I think in several ways.
1: Um, First of all, you know, we read in this parable uh, when Jesus gave the interpretation of it, he said at the end, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom, all things that offend. Now, Phil, you may be familiar with the fact that that term offence means stumbling block. So, so tears cause believers, if you like, to stumble. Um, if he can sow tears amongst the weak, he can disrupt the harmony of the church. And, uh, you know, whenever there's church trouble, look around, you might just find a tear Mm. (laughs) is involved. So that's the first thing is that he's sowing all these stumbling blocks, all these causes of offense in the body of Christ. But then I think we can go a little bit further than that and say that when the enemy comes in amongst us, he replaces godly principles with worldly methods. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament that illustrates this. It's when Israel were under the power of the Philistines. We know that in the scripture, the Philistines represent the world. So the Israelites had to go and take their instruments or their tools to be sharpened to the Philistines. That's just Mm -hmm. so that they didn't make any weapons and that sort of thing. And I think you you can see an analogy there, Phil, that over the last few decades, the churches turned to the world to be sharpened in things like... um, How to present talks, you know, motivational talks. You know, we've kind of weakened the gospel by just giving little, you know, pep talks. Mm. Godly counseling has been replaced with pop psychology, Uh, biblical models of leadership with corporate forms of structure and so on. And so it's a kind of, if you like, the world invading the church and corrupting it from the inside. Uh, there's another thing, and that is that often um, the enemy sows things into the church that are distractions. I've been a pastor for nearly forty years now, and I've come to discern that there are certain people the enemy is placed just to bring a lot of distraction. They, they get all the focus, all the attention. They divert us away from our main
0: task, mm-hmm. which is you know to preach the gospel and to build God's kingdom. Mm. But you've pointed out that we're warned in the Bible not to go around trying to pluck up the tears. So what do you do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, The servants, of course, in this parable
1: saw a need for separation, but the problem is that they weren't skilful enough to do it. And uh, if they attempted to do it, they would root up not only the tears but the wheat as well. Um, There's a question I often like to throw in amongst Christians when we're in a group and having a discussion, and it's, it's this, Ananias and Sapphira were they real Christians or fake Christians <laughs> mm. were they carnal Christians or yeah. were they not Christians
0: at all interesting because they were in
1: there in yeah. in amongst everyone else yeah and I'll tell you what if you ask that question in a group of uh, Christians you'll get you'll get um, people siding on both in both camps so who's right <laughs> <laughs> World War three here we go <laughs> no I, I I think it does uh, you know just absolutely confirm the fact that we are not qualified to separate the wheat from the tares. Leave it to those that are called to do that. Paul, in fact, says this, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, and then everyone's praise will come from God. Um, When you look over the history of the church, Phil, you'll find that we've tried to do that, and it's caused a lot of damage. Uh, We've tried to separate the wheat from the tears by things like force. Look at the Inquisition, where people were forced to, Mm. to confess certain doctrines and beliefs and so on. Um, then we've got creeds and confessions and denominations where we try to, to get people to all say the same thing and believe what we believe. Then there's this thing we call church discipline where we expel people who we think are off doctrinally. Do you remember the, the disciples tried to do that? They said, Lord, we saw somebody um, preaching the gospel, but they weren't following us. Mm. Uh, so we told them to stop it. <laughs> mm. And Jesus said, well, don't, you know, like they're preaching the gospel. Um, just because they're not with us, it doesn't mean to say they're against us. And so we've tried to kind of um, really classify, this is wheat, this is tears, and we've got ourselves into all sorts of trouble.
0: The question, though, you still need discernment in the middle of all that, don't you?
1: Yeah, as Augustine said, um, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. And, um, you know, we do have some fundamental beliefs that we all adhere to, uh, to be authentic Christian. But what we're talking about here is really trying to discern those that are genuinely born again and kicking out those that, that we think are not. Mm. And uh, it comes down to this, I believe. I can't really say for sure whether somebody else is a Christian, but I can say that I am. Oh, God, God wants us individually and personally to have an assurance of salvation, the gospel was written so that those who truly believe in it might not only be born again, but have an assurance of their salvation. Of course, God knows those that are genuinely saved. And so I guess the, the, the lesson of this parable is this. Don't judge others, but certainly resist any influence that is contrary to the gospel.
0: Advancing the kingdom, it's something we're all called to do, and we'll continue our conversation on this tomorrow. Until then, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free.
1: For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg and details about Ken's ministry, shop online at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au.